Matthew 10, starting at verse 24. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now we all know that fear can be paralyzing. Apparently 18% of us experience arachnophobia, particularly this time of year, a fear of spiders. 12% of us have coulrophobia. Anyone know what that is? Thanks, Tom. A fear of clowns. I know one person in the room who's admitted to having a phobia to ketchup and another who's got a chronic fear of butterflies. 20% of us have glossophobia. That means we're terrified of public speaking. But what about the fear of speaking publicly about Jesus? What about the fear of being outed as a Christian, a God-botherer, a Jesus freak? In this part of Matthew's gospel, Jesus is preparing his disciples to go out and speak to share his message. And fear of man, fear of people is a big issue. So you see that in the passage that Ben read there, line 26, have no fear of them, verse 28, and do not fear Verse 31, fear not. And surely Jesus is right to zone in on fear of man. We're all prone to it, aren't we? The fear of what others might think of us, what they might say about us, what they might do to us. Maybe you're here today and you're holding back on following Jesus Christ because you're scared of what other people might say. There are plenty of people like that. And then what about the Apostle Peter when he was... When Jesus was arrested, three times he denied even knowing Jesus. Why have so many church leaders down through the centuries tweaked the message, adapted the message to try and fit in with the culture around them? Fear of what other people think. Why have I ducked so many times opportunities to share the best possible news ever with those around me? Why have I chosen to stay quiet? There are perhaps even one or two of us here today, and we we were asked, what are you doing for lunch today? And we just mumbled something about going to a lunch appointment. Well, now, London Zoo apparently run a course that we can go on that will cure us of a fear of spiders. 
We know there are courses we can do to cure fear of, of flying, fear of dogs. I'm not sure if there's one for butterflies. But here, Jesus Christ gives us his course on overcoming the fear of speaking about him. He wants us to strengthen us, to live courageously, and to speak fearlessly for him. So let's follow Jesus's four-step program, his remedy on the, listed out there on the sheet. So step one, remember the master. Expect revulsion. Now, some fears are completely unfounded, aren't they? There aren't any clowns hiding behind the wheelie bins. That's right, isn't it? There's, they're not going to jump out and get us. But when it comes to speaking about Jesus, well, fear of man is not a delusional fear. Look at what Jesus says in verse 24 to 26. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So in one sense, there is a good reason to fear people. Now, one of the things I love about Jesus Christ is his courage, is his utter fearlessness to speak the truth lovingly, whatever reaction he gets. Do we want to be like him? Yes and no. I want to speak the truth. I want people to benefit from his death, his resurrection. I want them to enjoy an eternal relationship with him. But also, I want to be liked. I don't want people to hate me. And in the previous passage, Jesus warned his disciples that he was sending them out like sheep among wolves, that they would be hated by all for his sake. I was looking at this passage with a little group last week, and someone very helpfully said, well, this is quite shocking. Is this really meant going to happen to us? Is, is this just for the, the apostles? And someone else piped up and said, well, surely our message is a really positive one. It's about love and peace. People will, will want to hear it, won't they? Now, the apostles did have a specific role at a very specific time. But Matthew's included these instructions here in chapter 10 to help prepare all disciples of Jesus to engage in, in Jesus' work of going and making disciples of all nations. And now it's really clear, isn't it? Jesus is speaking generally to the disciple. And then verse 32, whoever denies me. He's got everybody, every potential disciple in view now. But sometimes people, I've heard this a lot, people sometimes say, but actually when I've been here working in the city, I've lived a distinct life, and people have really respected me. And that's true, isn't it? There is something really powerful about living a different life as a Christian, following what Jesus says. But I think we've also got to keep this passage in mind. Jesus isn't promising that we'll, we'll be liked. Yes, we will make a difference. People sometimes will respect us for that. But Jesus isn't promising that, particularly when we publicly speak the truth about him. And we find that truth all the way through the New Testament. So you might remember 1 Peter, where Peter says, live distinctly. And as you do, people will speak of you as evildoers. So they will notice you're different, but they will speak of you as evildoers. And Jesus is pretty blunt, isn't he? If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? 
we've got to be, get used to this idea that we might get a mixed response. Some people will possibly be interested. They'll respect us. Other people will call us Beelzebul, or that's what they've called Jesus. That, the Jewish, that's the Jewish word for, for the devil. They, the Jews got it from a Babylonian god, the Lord of the Flies or the Lord of Dung. So it's a pretty strong insult, isn't it, to call the Lord Jesus satanic. But that means we shouldn't be surprised when, if we're following Jesus, we're called stupid or backward or repressive or misogynistic, racist, homophobic, abusive, narrow-minded. William, you'll have heard him mention in the press a few years ago, was called a fundamentalist, the Abu Hamza of the Church of England. But Jesus' point is, don't think that that treatment is beneath you. Don't think, oh, I'm too important to to put myself in situations where that might happen. I'll just leave that to the the more junior Christians in the office, perhaps, or those really keen Christians. If Jesus was willing to be treated like this, then so should we be. If it happened to Jesus, who was the most innocent, perfect person ever, well, then it's going to happen to us. And also, nor should we think, it's very tempting, isn't it, to think, well, but you, you don't know me, Wes. I'm very, very likable. I'm very charming. I'm very good with people. I'm going to present the Christian message in such a reasonable way. People will, people will lap it up, and they'll understand it, and they won't, they won't hate me. It's just you, Wes. You're a bit socially awkward. But remember, Jesus, the apostles, they did all those miracles. They presented the message better than anyone, but yet they were hated. They were maligned. We've got to get used to it. It may well happen. And I think it's good for us to think this through. Why, what, what, where might it really bite for us? So there's a, one of the, the lawyers' table over there. There's a chap called Richard who's not here today. So thankfully, I can quote him with, without actually getting, getting the words word for word correctly, as he definitely would pick me up if I got it wrong. But once he explained, explained to me the difference between lawyers and insurance workers and bankers. So he said, Wes, insurance workers and bankers, they're very relational people. They love doing deals. They're very social. So if they're following Jesus and they get cut out of relationships, they're left on the outside. That really hurts them. They really don't like that. Whereas lawyers, they're slightly different. Lawyers have accepted the fact that they'll never have any friends. (laughs) But the trouble with lawyers is their whole identity is wrapped up in knowing stuff, in being thought of as clever. So when a a colleague says to a Christian lawyer, ah, Smithers, you're one of these happy, clappy, born-again, Ned Flanders, God Squad types. Oh, dear, oh, dear, I always thought you were weak-minded. It really cuts them. But Jesus' point is, don't shy away. We are not above Jesus. But we've got to accept it will hurt. We're not going to enjoy it sometimes, and our temptation is going to be to recoil. So let's move to step two. Don't fear. Remember the nature of the message and the mission. Now, here I would expect Jesus to give a few tips on how to explain the message in such a way that wins people over, a few tips on when to speak and when not to. But look what Jesus says in verse 26. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. 
Now, tell me later what you think, but I think Jesus is saying here in verse 26, the truth is going to come out eventually, so you might as well be open about it now. Being fearful, that's not going to change anything. So the sooner you get on with being open, the better. Now, you know what it's like when politicians or or organizations try to cover something up, and then it comes out a bit later, and you think, what on earth were they thinking trying to keep that secret? It's obviously going to come out. And I think that's the kind of thing Jesus is saying. What I've said about sin, what I've said about judgment, what I've said about myself, what I've said about heaven and hell, people will try and cover it. They'll try and hide it, pretend it doesn't matter. But one day it's all going to come out in the open. So don't fear. Don't try and keep it under wraps. Be bold about it. Share it. And then he goes even further in verse 27. He says, in fact, verse 27, what I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops, on the rooftops. Jesus has already, now Jesus has already been public. It's not like Jesus has been coy or hiding away. He's given the Sermon on the Mount for thousands of people. He's been traveling around telling people who he is. He's not been particularly underground. But now he's saying to his disciples, don't let fear cause you to step back. Now's the time to start thinking about taking it to the whole new level. Jesus is preparing his disciples for when the message is going to go global. Things they've heard from him, they're going to truly understand. It's going to go to the nations. And the big theme of the Gospels, the big theme of the book of Acts is that we are in that same age. We are in this age of global proclamation, the age of the good news. And Matthew wants us to be involved in that, to make disciples of all nations. And so Jesus is saying public heralding of that truth is surely a big part of how that's going to happen. Not that we have to literally stand on top of St. Helens. It might look different for all of us. We've all got different gifts, different opportunities. Jesus isn't saying you've got to have amazing skills at oratory or public speaking or anything like that. It's not going to be one size fits all. But he is saying, don't be shaped by fear. Be shaped by this desire to get this message out. Work work out in your own way how you can help make this message public, herald it to those around you. Now, I thought it'd be worth just touching briefly on a few ways that this perhaps challenges us. It certainly challenges me. Now, when we're feeling fearful, I think it's easy to think, well, maybe I'll just be a private Christian. I'll, I'll just have my own personal faith. I'm British after all. I won't talk about it too much. That'll be okay. But can you see, being a private Christian doesn't really make any sense. This is a straight command from Jesus, isn't it? Go and proclaim it from the rooftops. To believe in Jesus is to believe that he is the Lord of all people, that he wants all people to hear about who he is, all people to have the chance to be brought into his kingdom. So being a, trying to be a private Christian is a little bit like trying to be a bin man who doesn't want to collect bins or signing up to be a newsreader for a broadcasting, broadcasting company and saying, actually, I'm not going to come to the studio. I'm going to take the teleprompter. I'm going to do it at home in my bedroom in front of the mirror. It just doesn't really make sense. Jesus has made all of us proclaimers, prophets, priests, if we're trusting in him. But then if you're anything like me, we're often tempted, aren't we, to kind of sit back and wait for the opportunities to arise, wait for that moment when it feels really natural and it's a a great time to talk about Jesus. But can you see, again, Jesus is more on the front foot than that. Go and proclaim. So yes, we should think about how and when. 
We should be wise as serpents, but actually go and proclaim. Are you getting behind the spread of this message that is such good news? Now, Paul said that nothing weird is going to happen this lunchtime, but just slightly out of the ordinary, how about if I ask you a question? What reasons might people have to come to this lunchtime lunchtime talk? You're free to shout out. I'm not going to pick on anyone. But what reasons might people have to come to this lunchtime talk? Habit. Habit. Thanks, Alan. (laughs) Very good. The location, it's nearby. Yep. To be encouraged. Yep. Thanks, Jenny. To learn, learn about the Bible, learn about Jesus. Great. Let me, let me read you the kind of just a little snippet from the, the origin story of these lunchtime talks. Back in 1961, or just before that, in the city, there were a small group of businessmen who had been praying regularly each Monday lunchtime for seven years, seeking God's guidance for the way to spread the gospel in their workplace. They invited Dick to come and give a series of four lunchtime addresses in St. Mary Ab Church. About 100 people came, da di da da and a bit later they got Dick to come here and they started having public meetings in the city. And why were they doing that? Those reasons that you shouted out, but first and foremost, they wanted this gospel to be public in the city, for it to be publicly heralded. We all know, don't we, if you look around the, the country, Christians have perhaps retreated into, into Sundays, into, into church buildings. But if you read the book of Acts, the gospel message, Jesus' message, is being proclaimed in the, in the public squares of Athens, of, of Corinth, of Ephesus. Not just on, a, on the Sabbath, but every day of the week. And those guys, I guess they've got that vision. We want, want everyone to have the chance, and the workplace is a great place for that to happen. So that's one of the big reasons we have these lunchtime talks, so that the message of Jesus is still public. But then you think, well, what, what other messages are public at the moment? What's on the news today? Russell Brand, a bit about climate change, some strikes, the war in Ukraine. All really important questions, important issues, things that our culture doesn't really have an answer to. But Jesus' message answers the questions raised by those issues. Our culture is, needs to hear that message. But if we just keep it to ourselves, it's not going to help, is it? I was chatting to an American friend a couple of weeks ago, and he said, in America, what's happening is the churches are so keen on fighting the culture wars, they're, they're kind of hunkering down. It's a bit of a sort of inward-looking mentality. And it's easy for all of us to fall into that. We're so focused on protecting what we have, protecting our doctrine, keeping ourselves safe from the world, that we forget to proclaim to the, the world around us so they can hear, hear about Jesus. But again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard if we're going to get behind it. I'm, it's so encouraging to see how many of you are doing it in all kinds of ways, with individuals that you know, putting things on in your office, using social media. I heard of one guy yesterday who used to work in the city. He's now gone over to, to Switzerland. No, not Switzerland, Luxembourg. And he started a lunchtime talk yesterday. 24 people came along, heard about, heard about Jesus. But it's going to be tough. So step three, we'll do this a little bit more quickly. We need to remember who matters. Verse 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. It's a, it's a clear, straightforward point, isn't it? Fear God 
not man. There may well be consequences if we follow step one and step two. And it's easy to be flippant about this, but Jesus wants us to ask the question, what's the worst that they can do? Jesus says, don't focus on people. They can't, they can't affect your, your eternity. I was reading this morning about the, the early Christian Polycarp who stood and talked about the Lord Jesus as he was being thrown into the fire, and he asked for an opportunity to, to share with those around him. Now, his strength to do that didn't come from his inner resolve. His strength to do that came from a fear of God, his personal relationship with God. And it will be the same for us. If we're going to overcome this fear of people and actually start loving people instead and wanting to share the gospel with them, it's going to come from focusing on, on God and not on them. But Jesus doesn't want us to be in a state of terror before God. He wants us to be in awe of God, to recognize He is the one who holds eternity in his hands. But look at verse 29, and we'll look at step four. Remember that you matter to God. This is the God that we're in fear of. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows." Now, I know lots of you, you've been mocked, you've been sidelined at work. Some of you, I know people have, been, have lost their jobs because they've been open about following the Lord Jesus. But you have a father in heaven who cares for you, a father in heaven who is in control. Think about what it takes for God to be in control of a, of a sparrow. He's got to not only look at, check out the sparrow's flight path and be in control of that, he's got to look after the, the, the cat's. He's got to keep an eye on the sparrow hawks, the jet engines. He's in control of all of that just to look after a sparrow. If that's what he does for a sparrow, he knows what's best for you. He will look out for you. He will have you in the best place. And do you see how much he cares for you? Did you count how many hairs you left behind on your pillow this morning or how many hairs went down the plug hole? God did. He's numbered your hairs. That's how much he cares for you to that level of detail. You can trust him completely. So, it doesn't matter if particularly, I guess, whether we're fearful of spiders or clowns. We can get through life without having to, to speak publicly. We can avoid, avoid that phobia. But if fear of others gets the better of us, and we try to avoid publicly acknowledging Jesus then it does matter. Have a look at verse 32 to 33 to see how Jesus sums this bit up. So everyone who acknowledges, acknowledges, same word as confesses, confesses me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now maybe that feels a bit unsettling at first, doesn't it? Jesus is not saying one, you know, one strike and you out. If you let him down once, you didn't speak of him, in, you didn't take one opportunity. There's certainly lots of times when I was working in, in the office that I let him down. I didn't, didn't speak up when I could have done. But it's this settled, were you known as a follower of Jesus? Did you give other people the chance to hear who he is? If we're trying to say, I, yeah, I believe in Jesus, but just in my heart, I'm not interested in, in, in owning that publicly. That's a bit strange, isn't it? It's a bit 
It's a bit like saying, yeah, I'm married, but I, I don't like people to know that. It's a shaky place to be. But can you see the encouragement? You know what it's like, don't you? If someone you really look up to, if they say, oh, yeah, Wes, this is my friend, Wes, you're filled with pride, aren't you? It's wonderful. But to be acknowledged by the Lord Jesus on the last day, what a beautiful thing. It will be worth it then to have have openly declared him, to, to to have spoken about him through this life. Let's pray, pray together. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Our Heavenly Father, we ask that you would forgive us for when we have feared men. We've treated the opinion of others more important than yours. When we've cared more about our own reputation than your reputation. Please would you give us that joy of sharing the message of Jesus with those around us. Please help us not to lean on our own strength, but to lean on your fatherly care for us. And we do pray for this city, our Father, full of so many people. We pray that they would know, they would hear, every man and woman would hear about the Lord Jesus and his kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.